0: You know, when we talk about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and His identity, one of the interesting things to me is that everything we know about Jesus has been provided to us by other human witnesses, especially the infant Jesus. The infant Jesus taught no lessons, preached no sermons. The infant Jesus performed no miracles, although... His own birth itself was a miracle. And so there's nothing that the infant Jesus himself provides to us that gives us evidence of his deity. What we know about Jesus and the deity of Christ, we hear from the witnesses of others. Even the virgin birth itself is provided to us uh, as evidenced by the testimony of two individuals, Joseph and Mary. Mary herself also providing the um, knowledge that she had never been with another man, Joseph included. And so we when we experience the Christmas season and we put ourselves back into the mind of those that saw Jesus, the infant Jesus, for that very first time, uh, we are doing so because they gave testimony as to who Jesus truly is. And so we've been doing a series periodically at Christmas time for the last couple of years called uh, Witnesses to the Savior. And what we've done in the series is we've taken a chronological look at different people that have experienced the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he meant. And what his coming meant. And we've uh, looked at Jesus through their eyes. The first witness we looked at was a man by the name of Zechariah. And some translations call him Zacharias, But it's the man, Zechariah, who had a wife. Her name was Elizabeth. And uh, they were both advanced in age, beyond childbearing years. Uh, Zechariah himself was a priest who served in the temple. And the temple complex was something larger than you could ever imagine. Um, in the priest, priestly uh, duties of serving the temple, there were 18,000 priests that were assigned that duty. And they were split up into 24 divisions of about 750 priests in each division. And each division would serve in the temple and serve all of the people and serve the needs of the temple twice a year for a total of 48 weeks. The other four weeks of the year were special weeks where everyone would serve, like Passover week or, or the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. Um, but it just so happened that on a particular day, Zechariah's division of priests was chosen. It was their turn to serve the temple. And out of the 750 or so priests in his division, it just so happened that Zechariah His name was drawn to go into the temple, into the sanctuary, into the holy place of the temple, and to burn incense. And so on this particular day, Zechariah went into the temple, and he burned incense, and he was uh, met by an angel, the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife, even though she was old, would have a son, and they would name him John, and he would be a forerunner of the Messiah who was to come. And Zechariah doubted the angel's testimony. And uh, because he doubted, the angel Gabriel said, Because you've doubted the word of God, you will be mute until the day John is born. And that's exactly what happened. Zechariah lost the ability to speak. And later, when John, the one we know as John the Baptist, was finally born... Zechariah, his dad, regained his speech, and he gave praise to God in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. And I'll read this out loud to you. We read in this passage, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence All our days. And you, child, he's speaking to his son John. You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our Lord's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. God was doing something quite unusual to take a woman who is past her childbearing age and to ensure that she became pregnant with a male, and this would be John the Baptist. God was doing something quite unusual in these days. And then we come to a second witness of the Savior, and it is someone much younger, and it is a female named Mary. After the angel Gabriel had visited Zechariah in the temple... Gabriel was then sent by God to visit Mary. And we read about that in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Gabriel said to Mary, Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then Gabriel encouraged Mary to believe the message. And he said, consider your relative Elizabeth, your childless relative Elizabeth, for she too will have a most improbable child. In fact, Elizabeth, by that time, was six months along in her pregnancy. Mary's response to the angel Gabriel was this. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. So this unusual thing that God is doing, providing two women, neither of whom should have the ability to have a child because one of those was too old and the other had never been with a man but they were both going to have a child and so God was certainly doing something unusual in those days but at this point in the story hardly anyone knew about it then there's a third witness to the Savior his name was Joseph and he was the betrothed husband of Mary And once Joseph somehow discovered that his betrothed bride had become pregnant, and he obviously had nothing to do with that, he thought that it was uh, his duty to divorce her. But instead of divorcing her publicly and shaming her publicly, and perhaps even calling for her stoning, Joseph, being a godly man, an honorable man, decided to put her away or divorce her quietly. But before he followed through with his intentions, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream to inform him that the child that was conceived in Mary was not conceived in her by a man, but rather this was a miracle performed by the Holy Spirit, and that that child would be the child who would save God's people from their sins. And so Joseph awoke from the dream, and he responded by obeying the command of the angel. He took Mary as his bride, and yet he refrained from having relations with her until after Jesus was born. And so at this point in the story, you have three independent witnesses, all of whom separately claim to have been visited by an angel. And the testimony that they independently and separately give is Perfectly consistent with one another. That there would be two births. John, the one we would call the Baptist or the baptizer. And then Jesus, the Messiah. And now we come to a fourth witness of the Savior. And this is a woman who perhaps knew better than anyone else of God's ability to keep His promises and do the miraculous. Because you might remember the final words that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary Which was this, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. And so it would be Elizabeth who would be the key. Elizabeth was the key for Mary to figure out this angelic puzzle that was going on inside of her. Imagine yourself to be Mary. You're visited by an angel. You're probably 14, maybe 15 years old, a teenage girl. And this angel tells you this impossible message that only the most believing of persons would actually believe, but somehow you know that it's true. You know it's real. You know that it's factual. Because if all of this was a figment of your overactive imagination, would you really, in your imagination, have that same angel tell you to confirm the message by going to visit your relative Elizabeth because she's six months along and even even though you wouldn't have known that. And so she believes, Mary believes in her heart that this is true and now she's going to verify it by going to visit Elizabeth because Elizabeth is the key and Elizabeth is the fourth witness to the Savior. And the passage, the very brief passage that we'll study today is in Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 45. If you have your Bible I invite you to turn there, and I'll be reading from a a different English translation than what I have in the past. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and the Christian Standard Bible, just because this will be my translation of choice moving forward, I'll just take a brief moment to explain this, that the Christian Standard Bible is a new English translation produced by Lifeway Christian Resources, the publishing company owned by the Southern Baptist Convention. And it is highly accurate and exceptional, exception, exceptionally readable. And fortunately, it doesn't have the word exceptionally in it, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. So, verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. We read, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, verse 40, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So so here's the story. Mary has this message from Gabriel, the angel. Immediately she jumps up. She grabs whatever she needs. She heads out of town. And when she heads out of town, she doesn't take the Lexus, but rather she uh, walks or takes an animal, and she makes her way to Elizabeth's house and why? Why did she immediately go visit Elizabeth? Because she received that message from God through Gabriel that she should consider... Elizabeth, who also is pregnant. And so Mary arrives at Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. She greets Elizabeth. And I believe that Mary has a joyous anticipation of having confirmed in her heart what the angel Gabriel said to her was true. And so Mary received much more than simply a greeting back saying, yes, welcome, it's true, I am pregnant. Mary received much more than that from Elizabeth. We read about it in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. John, who would be called the Baptist, leaped inside of Elizabeth. Even while John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, he had a spiritual connection to Jesus. And that connection would last all throughout his life. I mean, the very voice of the mother of Jesus prompted this preborn infant into some type of feeling that we'll learn about later that made him leap. John's entire life was devoted, not to himself, not to his own desires, but it was devoted to Jesus. Not only did he leap in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Jesus' mother, but as an adult, John cried out in the wilderness this essential message, "'Prepare for the way of the Lord. Make his path straight.'" He was preparing God's people for the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. John told those who thought that he might be the Messiah, he said, "'No, no, no, no. I'm not the Messiah.'" I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am coming. I am not. Un- I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, meaning judgment. John the Baptist, when he finally saw Jesus with his own eyes, he proclaimed. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of John the Baptist's life pointed to Jesus. And John the Baptist, by the way, serves as a fantastic example for us. I wish that all of our lives at all times would also point people to Jesus And so again, we read in verse 41, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, in short, it simply means that the Holy Spirit has full control of you. You see, there are three persons who are the eternal God. There's God the Father. There's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form, not bodily form, but in spirit form who interacts with us. He ministers to us. He convicts us of sin. He dwells within us, and on occasion, He fills us. And for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what we must do on our end is live lives that are yielded, To God. Now you know what it means to yield. When we get out on the street on occasion, we'll see the triangle signs and it tells you to yield. It means to give someone else the right of way. To live a life that's yielded to God means you give God the right of His way in your life. And so we yield ourselves as we learn, hopefully, to yield ourselves to God, we open up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to take full control of us. All throughout Scripture, there are examples and phrases and words and sentences and commands that indicate that we should yield ourselves to God. For example, Jesus himself prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. He yielded himself to his Father's will. John the Baptist said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. That is a that is a heart that is an example that's a phrase of someone who is yielding himself to God. Jesus told us, "Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me." Again, another way of saying yield yourself to God. The Bible says in Romans 6:11, "Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus." Again, Yielding ourselves to God. All of these statements from Scripture. Picture a person who is yielding himself or herself to God. And so when you yield yourself to God, and the Holy Spirit fills you, and He controls you, this is what happens. God is able to do in you that which you cannot do in your own strength. For example, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and yielded to God, you can begin to love those that are hard to love. And being Christmas season, being with family, we all have those that are hard to love, don't we? You can learn to love those that are hard to love. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have joy in bad times, even in a pandemic. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, He gives you patience for when you have to wait. You can be kind to those who are mean to you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be good when others treat you bad. You can be faithful when others fail. You can be gentle to those who are harsh, and you can have self-control when you're tempted. This idea of yielding yourself to God, it is the essential struggle that Christians deal with, because the world distracts us and And so when we get distracted, we take the wrong path, and the world tempts us, and we choose to sin, and the world blinds us, and we easily become confused, and the world wounds us, and we lash out in our pain. Yet all the while, there's a still small voice calling us to our life's quest as a Christ follower, which is this, surrender, surrender. The Christian life really is not complicated. The Christian life is not about memorizing 600 rules, do's and don'ts that you have to follow and not follow this and and it's not about all that. The Christian life is truly about living out one idea. One simple idea. And if if we would take to heart each day this one idea we would make our lives a vessel for the Holy Spirit to fill. And the one idea to which Jesus calls us is to surrender. To yield. Elizabeth was living a life of full surrender to God. How do we know that? Because earlier in verses 24 and 25, we read that after she conceived, this is what happened, she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. She saw her pregnancy as something God did. But why would she stay away from other people? I mean, wouldn't she just want to let everybody know? Well, probably not, because in that day, a barren woman was a woman to be pitied. And she probably didn't want to see the faces of those uh, people that pitied her and as they wagged their heads or made rude comments to her about being barren, how it must be her fault or her parents' fault, and the sins of her or her parents are coming back upon her and she can't have any kids. She didn't want to hear all of that. I mean, she might even be tempted to tell them, hey, I'm not, I'm not barren anymore, I'm, I'm with child. But that wouldn't go anywhere, would it? Because that would only meet with more scorn and accusations because early on in pregnancy, no one else can truly tell if a woman is pregnant or not. And people would call her delusional since she was past childbearing age. And so, no, she'll, she just decided that she would bide her time in private, and then won't they be surprised later at what God has done. And so Elizabeth didn't tell anybody about her pregnancy. Not even Mary, who lived in another town. How did Mary hear about it? From the angel Gabriel. And so when, when Mary arrived at the house... Unexpectedly, and greeted Elizabeth, the baby within Elizabeth leaped in her womb. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only was she filled with the Holy Spirit, but so was John within her. Because this is a fulfillment of what the angel Gabriel had earlier told John's father, Zechariah. In Luke 1.15, Gabriel said, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. So not only was Elizabeth yielded to God, but so was John the Baptist from the time that he was a preborn infant in her. Verse 42. Then Elizabeth, she claimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and your child, Will be blessed. Here's, Eliza- here's Elizabeth. Speaking with knowledge that could have only given, been given to her by the Holy Spirit, she says essentially that Mary is the most blessed woman on earth, even more blessed than Elizabeth. Elizabeth may give birth to the forerunner of the Lord, but Mary would give birth to the Lord himself. Verse 43. How could this, she continues, How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Again, with knowledge given to her by the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth calls the infant within Mary's womb her Lord. By the way, in Luke's Gospel, this means more than simply sir or a sign of respect. In Luke's Gospel, The word Lord is used not only of Jesus' later, but of God the Father Himself. And Elizabeth somehow has this knowledge through the Holy Spirit that the child within Mary is God Himself. It is Yahweh. He, rather, is Yahweh. Whether Elizabeth had full understanding of everything she was saying, I don't know, But I do know this. She got it right. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Verse 44, Elizabeth continues. She says, For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Not only did the baby leap, but leap for joy. One of the things I loved to do when when my wife was pregnant with our kids when she was visibly pregnant, I liked, to, I liked to talk to the kids. I liked to talk to her belly. Because at some point, they learned my voice. And they would kick when I would speak. And I know Amy felt like she was just a toy of mine or something like that, you know. Watch this magic trick or whatever. But it was pretty cool, but... When John heard Mary's voice, John leaped, and he he leaped for joy, Elizabeth says. And again, the Bible confirms what every mother, and yet not what one member of the Lubbock City Council knows to be true, that the baby inside is A human. It is separate from and yet dependent on its mother. It is capable of feeling and expressing every human emotion, including joy. John the Baptist had joy that day. Verse 45, Elizabeth concludes her brief testimony with these words. And these words will be the close of my sermon. These words will be words that I hope you take to heart. Because this blessing, I think, obviously applies to Mary. But the blessing also applies to you. We read in verse 45, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord would fulfill, what He has spoken to her. Blessed are you when you believe what God has said. What God has said this day, and what I hope that you will hold with you throughout this Christmas season is simply this, that there is a Savior, there is a Lord, it is Jesus Christ. He is the one that John the Baptist lived his life for. He is the one that Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and others gave testimony about being the one who would free those that are imprisoned to their sin, who would forgive those that need forgiveness if this day you would honestly say to god that you are a sinner and that you need the forgiveness of sins god will hear your prayer he will forgive you because this infant jesus that was yet to be born at that point would later as an adult die on a cross to pay the penalty of your sins and mine and he would rise from the grave as Lord over all, ascend to heaven, and he's coming back. He's coming back as judge, as king. He's coming back to set things straight. And I know I don't have to give you any more testimony about a world that truly needs to be set straight. We're living in it. Jesus is the one that Scripture points to. Jesus is the one that these human testimonies point to. He is the one that I believe your own heart points to as the Lord and Savior. You can trust him today. You can believe in him today. God will wipe away all of your sins and grant you the gift of eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we pray and as we conclude this service, I ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts this day Thank you for the forgiveness that you've granted to so many in this room and who might be listening to this message. And, Father, for the forgiveness that stands ready to be received by all who would believe. And so, Father, if there's one person here who's not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that that person today would not put their head on the pillow until they've settled this with you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.